God is greater far than Tom O'Pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. The guilty pair bowed down with care. God gave his son to win. His erring child he reconciled and bought him from his sin. to me. 
All right, uh, good evening. Thank you, Titus. Thank you, uh, Keaton. I almost called you your brother's name by accident. Thank you for going out and beating me yes, uh, yesterday in golf. Keaton and I went to play golf yesterday, and he beat me. Everybody beats me, so it's not a big distinction to have, you know. Your brother beats me, your father beats me. Anyways, but it was, it was fun. It was fun to go out and play with somebody. Usually on Monday, I'm by myself or something. But... Uh, Good evening, and um, we're going to uh, study Romans fifteen twenty nine this evening. And uh, I finally uh, figured out if all goes co- according to plan, it looks like we're going to be finishing the book of Romans. Uh, I think it's uh, Thursday, August twenty ninth, or it might or it might be Sunday, Sunday August twenty ninth. I don't know, August twenty ninth. It's going to be the last day of Romans, unless we have a cancellation somewhere in the ro- along the way that I don't foresee. But uh, then we're going to be doing the book of Jonah, and Jonah's got four chapters in it, and uh, 
That'll be a good book. I'm already researching that. So uh, that's just the coming attractions. All right, uh, let's take a moment of silent prayer as we get, before we get underway to hear the teaching of the Word of God, applying First John 1, 9 if necessary, and then bringing our thoughts into obedience to Christ so that we could obey the command of Ephesians 5.18 to be filled with the Spirit and the command of Colossians 3.16 to let the Word of Christ richly dwell in our souls. If there's anything that's disturbing and distracting to us, bothering us, do it First Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your anxieties upon the Lord because he cares for you. So in the privacy of our very own royal priesthood, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day that you've given us, another day to experience creation and fellowship with you, your Son, and the Holy Spirit, and with each other. We thank you for the Bible, the completed canon of Scripture, and the gift of the Holy Spirit, who makes your word real and understandable to us and guides us in the application of it and reproduces the character of Christ in our lives when we we obey your word. We just thank you, Father, for revealing all the wonderful blessings related to our so great salvation raising us up and seating us with your Son, Jesus Christ, at your right hand through the baptism of the Spirit. We thank you for the fact that you have uh, forgiven us all of our sins, past, present, and future. We just thank you, Father, that, that, we can, uh, that all, for all of eternity that we're going to be spending with you in, uh, in the creation of the new heavens and the new earth and a resurrection body. We thank you, Father, for the potential of receiving rewards if we do your will. And we just pray, Father, that you would help us in this ministry to appropriate that which we've learned in the book of Romans and, and other books in the past, to, that we're crucified, died, buried, raised, and seated with your Son. Help us to appropriate by faith what the Spirit says in the Word of God about us so that we can experience victory over the sin nature and over the devil and his cosmic system. Help us to understand in this ministry and all Christians throughout this country and the world that our enemy is not ourselves, each other. It's the kingdom of darkness, our invisible enemy that wars against us from the earth's atmosphere. And just help us to uh, put on our union with Christ, the full armor of God, and to uh, take up the, the sword of the Spirit and prayer to deal with our invisible enemy. And help us to be consciously aware of the fact that we can do nothing without you and that we're totally dependent upon you, Father, and your Son and the Holy Spirit so that we might bring glory to you. We pray, Father, this evening that you would help those in the audience to concentrate. We pray that the Spirit would work mightily and powerfully in and through them. And also give grace to the communicator, empower him to deliver your full counsel this evening to your people with boldness, with accuracy and clarity, reverence and respect for your word, so that your people would be ministered to, that they would be built up and edified, and also you, of course, and your son, Jesus Christ, would be glorified. So, Father, we pray for these things in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Okay, could you turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 15, verse 22. Romans chapter 15, verse 22. This evening, and uh, as I mentioned earlier, we're going to study Romans 15, 29. And in this passage, we're going to see that Paul reveals to uh, his readers that he knew for certain. 
that when the Holy Spirit permitted him to enter into the company of the Roman believers, he would enter in the state of possessing abundant blessing, which is produced by Christ through him by the power of the Spirit. So we're going to see a couple of things that we've noted in the past. One in particular is that Paul, the question was, did Paul know he was going to get to Rome? Was he certain of that? How, did he, how do we know if Paul got to Rome? And did he get to Spain? And the question is, yeah, the answer is yes. He did get to Spain. And we know that, and he did get to Rome, of course. We know that from the book of Acts. But we see that he did get to Spain. He was certain that he was going to get to Rome and see the Roman believers. And he was certain also that he was going to get to Spain. And uh, even though church history is uh, pretty ambiguous about that, Clement has one particular, First uh, Clement 5, 7, which is not canonical. Uh, he mentions that Paul did get to Spain. Uh, the westernmost parts of the Roman Empire. But we see that uh, uh, Paul was certain that, and, and, and confident because he knew that the, the Holy Spirit was telling him this, that they would, he would get to Rome and that he would get to Spain and that when he got into the company of the Roman believers, he would also be possessing abundant blessing. And we're going to find out it's this particular statement that he, uh, he had uh, possessed abundant blessing, or as we'll see this evening in, in the New American Standard, it says the fullness of the blessing of Christ. We're going to see what that means this evening. And uh, we're going to see that what he had, which was the gospel, which he has presented to us in the main argument of this epistle, the word of God, is, is what Paul would be giving to them. So the, 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 what we're going to see here is that the application for us is that the pastor teacher is, has abundant blessing, meaning he has the gospel that he's presenting not only to the unsaved, but also, as we see in the gospels related to the believer as well, meaning the, he, the, the pastor teacher is presenting the good news that the Christian is crucified, died, buried, raised, and seated with Christ so that he can experience his deliverance over sin, Satan and his cosmic system, his three great enemies. So we see that this is what the pastor has. He has the abundant blessing, and that's in the form of the gospel, or in other words, a synonym for that would be Bible doctrine, or another synonym we use is the word of God. So this is what Paul had in mind, when he was coming to Rome, he was going to give them abundant blessing, meaning he was going to communicate uh, through them to them through the power of the Spirit. Actually, Christ in him would be communicating through the power of the Spirit the gospel. And this is what the this is what the Lord Jesus Christ does with the pastor teacher, the man who have the gift to pass the teacher, and uh, also evangelist. Christ is working through the communicator through the power of the Spirit to communicate the will of the Father for the believer as individuals and as a corporate unit. So that's what's inside this particular expression, which is pretty ambiguous in the New American Standard, where it says, in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I'm going to break that out for you from the original language as to what that exactly means. Now look at Romans 15:22. Let's pick it up there. It says, for this reason, and in context, he'd been pro- the, the reason he's talking about is, for this reason, I've been proclaiming the gospel from Jerusalem to Illyricum. I've been pr- church planting. For this reason, I have often been prevented from coming to you, entering into your presence. But now, his present circumstances, with no further place for me in these regions, that means there was no other place to church plant. And since I've had for many years a longing to come to you, whenever I go to Spain, for I hope, as we saw, it's very important that we know what this word means. It's not hope in the sense, in the English sense, where there's some doubt involved. It's El Piso, and it talks about being certain and confident confidently expecting to come into their presence. So we could translate it this way, for I am certain and I confidently expect to see you in passing. And that tells us he had this confidence, uh, confident expectation of visiting the Roman believers because the Holy Spirit was telling him 
that he would get there. So he says, I am certain and I confidently expect to see you in passing and to be helped on my way there by you. That means he, they would support him. They would fund his missionary trip to Spain that he had planned. And he expected Christian hospitality on the part of the Romans. It's not something that he had to tell, he had to tell them. They were already taught this by their pastors. In fact, this uh, particular hospitality is known all the way back to the Jewish patriarchs with Abraham and his nephew Lot is the first recorded instance of this hospitality on the part of God's people. And we see that Paul was expecting this. Uh, itinerant pr- uh, preachers like Paul, they would uh, expect this kind of uh, hospitality from uh, people that he, they have never met before. And uh, we saw that John, in Third John, I think it's verses 5 and 6, Apostle John talks about that we're to send itinerant preachers on their way, like Gary Horton he comes in here, to send them on their way, meaning help them out financially. <coughs> Excuse me, I didn't, of course I, I put it on the mute button, and I, I meant to put it on the mute button. I took it off and then I coughed into the mic. Sorry about that. But so that's what we see, you see going on here when he says, he says, I, was, I, I want to be helped there by... I want to be helped on my way there by you. Then he says, when I first enjoyed your company for a while, he expects to have fellowship with them. But now, I'm going to Jerusalem serving the saints. And remember, that is where he's going to deliver this contribution from the churches in Macedonia and Nicaea. So then he says, he says this in verse 26, for Macedonia and Nicaea have been pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. So we see there that this is very big in the church, in church history, early on in the church history, in the first century apostolic church, because this, is, this, was a, this gift was an expression of the Gentile believers' love and affection and, and, and concern for their poor Jewish brethren. Remember, the Jews who were born again and saved, they were still, if you notice that uh, in, in, in the book of Acts, there's a bit of a, a, a transition going on. The Gentiles were now being on equal footing with the Jewish believers, these Gentile believers, and the Jewish believers had a hard time with that because they were indoctrinated, as we've seen in our study of the book of Romans, to not have to be suspicious of the Gentiles. In fact, not to have anything to do with the Gentiles. So we have culture shock. We have the Gentiles coming from a pagan background and the Jews coming from the, the uh, living under the Mosaic law and uh, with strict morality and such things like this. And we see that they came together and the Jewish believers looked at still, even though they were became born again and saved and they were entered into the family of God with Gentile believers, their background was hard for them to overcome, meaning they had a suspicion of Jew- Gentile believers. So this gift, Paul, would, uh, this gift that came from the Roman province, the churches in the Roman provinces of Macedonia and Achaia, these, these, this gift would be in a token of their solidarity with the Jewish believers in Jerusalem. And it would soften the hearts of the Jewish believers, this particular gift. That's why it was very important. Unity was very important to the apostles. And uh, this unity was something, this, this gift was going to symbolize. So it's very important because, we saw, as we saw Sunday, many chapters have been devoted to it. Paul's trip to Jerusalem with this gift is recorded in Acts 19, 20, 21, and 22. It resulted in his imprisonment. And then, which was for, for five or six years. And uh, we saw that it's mentioned in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. And we learned that, we've been studying that in the last couple of weeks, those two chapters. And that the, the, these particular, the particular Macedonian believers were very, very gracious and they gave out of poverty, out of their poverty. See, a lot of believers give out of their prosperity, but these guys gave out of their poverty. They had nothing to give, but they gave whatever they had 
It's like the widow and her mite. It's the same thing here with the Macedonian believers. And they begged Paul to, that they could take part in this contribution. So this was uh, the, the things we've been studying the last couple of weeks. Then he says in verse 27, and note the translation, they were pleased to do so indeed because they're indebted to them. The, they were, the Gentile believers were spiritually indebted to the Jewish believers. Why? Because they were joint partakers of the abundant blessings of the Abrahamic covenant. That's the whole point of Romans chapter 11, verses uh, 13 through 28, where it talks about that the, what we, the Gentiles are taken from a wild olive tree and have been grafted into the olive tree Israel. And then now they're partakers of the abundant blessings of the, rich, of, of the root, which is Abraham. Abraham's the progenitor of the nation of Israel. And so we see that Galatians 3 talks about that. Ephesians 3 talked about that. Romans 11, Romans 15, 8 through 12 talked about this fact that Gentile believers are fellow partakers with Jewish believers of the abundant blessings of the Abrahamic covenant. In fact, Paul said uh, something that was not known in the Old Testament. It was known, it was emphatically known in the Old Testament. Um, Paul quoted many scriptures that demonstrated for the Old Testament, but it was predicted that salvation would come to the, the Gentiles through the Jewish Messiah. We studied that all the way back to Genesis 12. And you, Abraham, all the family of the nation, all the families of the earth and the nations of the earth will be blessed, or in your seed, your descendant, Jesus Christ, all the Gentiles will be blessed. But we also saw that Paul says there was something that was not known to Old Testament saints, that we would be fellow heirs, Gentile believers would be fellow heirs, of the promises uh, with Jewish believers. So this is something that was very, uh, this is a spiritual obligation on the part of the Gentile believers. The believers in Macedonia and Nicaea who were Gentile recognized that. And it's the same thing in the, in, in with the pastor teaches and the congregation. Paul talks about the fact in, in 1 Corinthians 9, 1, uh, 1 Timothy 5, 17 and 18. And uh, we also see in Galatians 6, that those who sow spiritual things among you, the pastors teaching you the word of God, they have the, your, they have the right to expect uh, a, a compensation in material things. You're obligated to provide for them uh, with material things. That's why we take up an offering on the Sunday is for mainly so I can make a living from this and that I can continue to study so that you can still get fed with the quality that you're getting. Now, uh, we see then in verse 27, therefore, Paul's talking about something different. He's talking about Gentile believers being spiritually indebted to the Jewish believers. So he says in verse 27, they were pleased to do so indeed because they're indebted to them. Then he explains why with the first class condition. For if, and as we saw, it means this, if and let us assume that it's true for the sake of argument. It's a tool of persuasion. If the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual things, first class condition, the responsive first class condition says, and they have, then they are indebted to minister to them, serve them also in material things. Therefore, based upon what I said in verses 22 through 27, when I have finished this and have put my seal on this fruit of theirs, safely delivered this particular contribution to the Jewish believers, then he says, I will go on by way of you to Spain. So his ultimate destination is Spain, Rome was a stopping off point. He was going to, one of the reasons why he wrote this epistle was to tell them what his gospel was, that he was legit, if they didn't know that already, and he wanted to solicit their help so he could go to Spain. And he also wanted to visit them for the first time. He heard all kinds of things about him, reports from people like uh, uh, Prisca and Aquila in Romans 16, 1 through 2, which we'll, who we'll talk about. They were interesting people, great people. So he says in verse 29, our passage, I know that when I come to you, I will come 
in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. Now that verse advances upon and it intensifies Paul's statement in verse 28 and that it says more about his visit to Rome because it expresses his confidence that he will enter into their company possessing abundant blessing which is produced by Christ through him. Now when he says, I know, this is the advantage of going back to the original language. I know in English, I mean, you're talking about what kind of knowledge? I know what? I know experientially or I know without a, without a doubt. You're certain of the facts. Well, here, there's different words in the Greek New Testament for, uh, for like verbs, let's say, for uh, knowledge, uh, acquiring knowledge. There's uh, uh, gnosko, as it's pro- pronounced in the, in the Erasmus pronunciation. And then there's eitha, or oiter, as it's in the Erasmus pronunciation. And this word eitha is basically what we have here. It's, this is what the word we have here. And what's the significance of that? You would never know this from your English translation. It means I know for certain. It means I'm in possession of all the facts. It means that Paul has a conviction that given to him by the Holy Spirit that he's going to get to Rome. This phrase, I know, indicates that Paul was certain that visiting Rome was in the will of the Father for him and that he was being assured by the Holy Spirit that he would in fact visit Rome, which again proves what I say about Paul's visit to Rome. Uh, There are many individuals who I respect who teach otherwise, that Paul was out of the will when he went on this particular trip to Jerusalem and, uh, and that it was out of the plan of God. Well, it was in the plan of God because God wanted him to get to Jerusalem and from Jerusalem he would get to Rome. And so it was in the plan of God for Paul to visit Rome. He was certain of that. The Holy Spirit told him that, just like the Holy Spirit told Paul that he had to go to Jerusalem. However, he would be imprisoned by it. He would suffer undeserved, uh, he would experience undeserved suffering when he got to Jerusalem. So we see here when he says, I know, it indicates that Paul's certain. Where did he get the certainty from? The Holy Spirit. And it's very important, and and I've taught this, and it's in the book on prayer about recognizing the voice of God in prayer. God will never tell you to do anything. He will never tell you to do anything that's contrary to the word of God or that would gratify your sin nature. Many times in the, uh, when we talk about God guiding us and directing us, first of all, we got the word of God. The spirit tells us the will of the father for our lives through the word of God. He also talks to us through circumstances and events in our lives. He also talks to us through godly people with godly viewpoint. Put all these things in, also sitting in prayer and, and, and meditating upon what God would have you to do in a certain situation. And this is very important. For instance, uh, give you a little ex- an example. When Before I came out to Iowa, I was ordained in 1998. And after a couple of years, I was itching to go uh, to serve somewhere. And uh, so I was debating whether I should leave GBC or should I stay put and wait for God to move me. And I decided that I'm going to stay right where I am at GBC until God had moved me. And uh, meanwhile, all the while during that time, the Holy Spirit was putting me this great desire to leave, to go and to serve somewhere, to be into service regardless of where it was. And then something, as I was praying, all this was coming, all this stuff was on my mind, weighing on my mind. And then eventually, out of the clear blue came this particular thing out here in Iowa. And I knew for right after, when I heard about it, at first I was like surprised that, that there was some people in Iowa that actually were, you know, listening to Bob. I didn't even know who they, they, they were. I didn't know anything about them. And next thing I know, Next thing I know, uh, I was getting in contact with them, 
And the next thing you know, I'm, I'm out here visiting in June of 2001. And then they offered me the position. I took it because I knew God wanted me in this particular area. That was in the geographical will of God. How did I know that? Because God had been, the Holy Spirit had been putting on my heart that he, to, to, that he was going to use me. And he wanted me to have that desire. And he was putting that desire in me so that when I did uh, get to, uh, uh, when I did, was time to leave Massachusetts and my family, I was ready to go. See, if he tried to get me to go out to Iowa in five years before, I would have never done it because I wasn't ready to leave my family and friends and, and everything behind. I had some certain amount of growth that I had to go through before I recognized, uh, before, I, before I was ready to go out to a, halfway across the country. So uh, this, was, uh, uh, this was something that uh, you have to, there's, there's three major things, circumstances, godly people, and also the Holy Spirit through the teaching of the Word of God, and also speaking to you in prayer. He does the, he speaks to you in prayer, meditating in prayer, learning to listen to God in prayer is how Paul, Paul listened to God, could hear the voice of God because he shut the world out. A lot of Christians don't know, I feel bad for them in a way, and in another way I don't, it's because they're distracted by the things of the world and they've been warned, but they don't, can't recognize or hear the voice of God because they're too busy loving the things of the world. And we, that means we, to hear God, we have to take some time. It, Jesus, who had an absolutely tremendously busy ministry for three and a half years, but every day before sunrise, Mark one thirty five, he would get up and go speak to the Father in prayer and listen to what the Spirit was telling him about the Father's will for his life that day. And if Jesus could do it and find the time, we can. Because we're not better than Jesus. He's the perfect God-man. And if he found the need to go into before the Father in prayer and made the time, we should too. No excuses. So that's why many times Christians don't get the most out of their relationship with God because they're unlike Paul. They don't have time to listen to the voice of God. They don't spend enough time in prayer listening to the voice of God or they don't have enough discipline to do that. And we need to ask God to give us this discipline. Ask God to help us to be more disciplined in this area and we will. So I know here when he says, I know for certain, we could say, I know for certain that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. Now, when he says, when I come, uh, this word, uh, this phrase, when I come, is a participle, it's a temporal participle, it's erkama. And it's used twice in this passage. Here, the first time, it's used as a temporal participle, and it means to enter. And, it, and the reason why is that it's used with a prepositional phrase, pros humas, which speaks of Paul being in the company of the Roman believers. Now, the present tense is called a futuristic present. That's important for us because it's used to describe the Apostle Paul's, again, his certainty that when he does enter into the company of the Roman believers, he will come with the fullness of, of Christ's blessing. So what he's saying is, I'm confident when I get into your presence and have fellowship with you, I have the blessing of Christ with me. I have the Holy Spirit working through me. I have the gospel to present to you. I have the full counsel of God to, bless, to, to present to you. Abundant blessing. Now, the verb here is uh, erkama, in the, is in the passive voice, and it's what we call a divine passive, meaning that Paul will go to Rome when he's permitted by the Holy Spirit to do so. So, as I mentioned with my illustration, uh, with uh, coming out to Iowa, I, could, I would not go because I did not feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit, 
and I didn't feel that it was, uh, it would be, uh, I would be getting ahead of God if I decided to strike out on my own and try to start a church in Massachusetts. I felt that God wanted me to wait, and that's what he was telling me in the scriptures as I was studying the scriptures, so I waited. The Holy Spirit was not permitting me to go strike out on my own, but to wait for him to tell me where to go, and that's what he did. So this is something the Holy Spirit was permitting Paul. When he says, uh, when I, uh, I know for certain... He says, I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. The phrase, when I come, it, the verb there in the passive is in the passive voice. That means the Holy Spirit's going to permit him. He'll go when the Holy Spirit permits him to go. Now, when he says to you, that speaks of a personal, intimate relationship between the Roman believers and Paul, and it denotes his entering into their company or into their presence. It talks about the companionship aspect of Christian fellowship, which involves communicating with each other. So Paul knew about the Roman believers. We've been bringing this out throughout the epistle, especially the last couple of chapters. Romans 16 tells us that Paul, he sends his greetings to many people, 26 individuals, and uh, in, in verses 3 through 15, just alone. And he sends, he mentions these individuals, he sends greetings to them. He knew these people. He was aware of these people. He served with many of these people. He was in prison with some of these people, as we'll see. And they gave him reports about the state, the spiritual condition of the Roman church. And even though he never met them, he developed a great love and affection for these people. Uh, Just like uh, the movie uh, You've Got Mail with uh, Tom Hanks and uh, the cute little blonde there. I forget what her name was. Help me out there. You don't remember her. But anyways, they, they, got, they had a romance, but they had never met each other. It was all through a correspondence. And that's exactly what was going on with Paul and the Romans. There was a love affair, so a spiritual love affair, so to speak. So he's saying he's confident that he's going to get into their presence and have fellowship with them. When he says, I will come, when it says uh, in the verse, it says, uh, verse 29, I know, we could say, I know for certain that when I come to you, and then he uses the, that erkama again, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ when I do come. I will come, the second phrase, is second time erkama is used, it again means to enter. And the future tense this time, we have a future tense this time with the word, when he says, I will come, it's a future tense, it's a predictive future, and that indicates that it will come to pass or take place that when Paul enters into the company of the Roman believers, he will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. So what we're going to see, that emphasizes that Paul was confident that he had the Spirit in Christ working through him. That he knew the gospel, that he was totally, knew the full counsel of God, and that he was more than capable, through the power of the Spirit, Christ working through him, to, to communicate to them the gospel, to communicate the word of God, Bible doctrine, to them. Now this word, the second time when it says, I will come, that verb, erkoma, is in the middle voice the second time it's used. It's an indirect middle, and that means that the subject acts for himself. This is important. It indicates that Paul will benefit from entering into the company of the Roman believers, and in fact, it speaks of him being encouraged uh, by them. Uh, hold your place. Look at Romans chapter 1, verse 8, because he mentions this earlier on in the epistle in the introduction to the epistle. Look at Romans chapter 1, verse 8. Romans 1, 8. He says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the entire world. Uh, That's basically hyperbole. He's talking about the Roman Empire. For for God, whom I serve in my spirit in the preaching of the gospel of his Son, 
is my witness as to how unceasingly I make mention of you, always in my prayers, making request, if perhaps now at last, by the will of God, I may succeed in coming to you, which he mentions in Romans 15. For I, now look what he says, for I long to see you so that I might impart some spiritual gift. Terrible translation. It means spiritual blessing. And the reason why is God, the Holy Spirit, is the one imparts a gift to, the, to each believer at the moment they, of their conversion to Christianity when they're declared justified through faith alone and Christ alone. Uh, we see that 1 Corinthians 12 talks about that. God, the Holy Spirit, is the one who gives us a gift for the common good, 1 Corinthians 12, 7. And that's under the authorization of the Lord Jesus Christ, according to Ephesians chapter 4, uh, verses 1 through, uh, four, uh, 1 through 8. We saw that Christ authorizes the Holy Spirit to give us a spiritual gift the minute we trusted in Jesus as our Savior. So Paul's not talking about giving a spiritual gift or anything like that, like, the, I'm going to give you the gift to pass the teacher. It's not what he's talking about. He's talking about spiritual blessing. It talks about a spiritual blessing, and that means it's, it's synonymous with, with the phrase, in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. And that's exactly what he's, the, the, when it says spiritual gift, or we should translate it spiritual blessing, that spiritual blessing in verse 11 of Romans chapter 1 is synonymous with the phrase, the fullness of the blessing of Christ. They're speaking of the same thing from two different perspectives. So we could say in verse 11, For I long to see you, so that I may impart some spiritual blessing to you, that you may be established, built up and edified spiritually, stabilized in your faith. That is, that I might be encouraged together with you. So he's saying, not only am I going to be encourage you, but you're going to encourage me. So he says in verse 12, that is that I may be encouraged together with you while among you, each of us by the other's faith, both yours and mine. So go back to Romans chapter 15, verse 29. Hopefully you held there because Paul says in verse 29 of Romans chapter 15, I know, we could say I know for certain that when I come to you, I will come, predictive future, I'm going to get there, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I will come, Erkema, it's in the middle voice. It's the indirect middle. It means that the subject acts for himself, indicating that Paul will benefit from entering into the company of the Roman believers. In fact, it speaks of being encouraged by them, by their faith. He's going to observe and experience their faith by being in their presence, and that's going to build him up spiritually. See, this is, the, this is the, the reciprocation that goes on between the communicator of the word of God, the pastor, and his congregation. Now, the Romans weren't his congregation, but he was an apostle to the Gentiles, and so he is functioning like a pastor would because he's talking about communicating the word of God to them. And he would be built up and edified and strengthened by their faith. It would encourage him. Thus, the principle, the pastor is encouraged by the positive volition toward the word of God and by the congregation. And he's also can be discouraged by it, the, the lack of positive volition to the word of God. Now we get the key phrase here in Romans 15, 29. He says, and I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. In the fullness of the blessing of Christ, and the original is composed of the preposition N, translated in in your Bibles. And then with it, we have the dative form of the noun pleroma, which is translated the fullness. Along with this, we have the genitive form of the noun evloia, which is translated of the blessing. And then finally, we have the genitive form of the noun Christos, which is translated correctly Christ. Now, this word evloia means blessing. 
in the sense of a spiritual benefit that is bestowed upon the Roman believers, and it's used here to describe that which the gospel produces. So he's saying, when I communicate the gospel, i.e. Bible doctrine, i.e. the word of God, it's gonna, uh, it's a blessing that I have to give you. It will, the gospel produces blessing in us. That's what this word is talking about when he says, Evloia, the word blessing of Christ, the word blessing is talking about a spiritual benefit that Paul can impart to these people. Just like the pastor, he has a spiritual benefit that he wishes to impart to his congregation. Now, the gospel would be a spiritual benefit to the Roman believers in the sense that it would endue them with divine power when Paul communicates it to them in a face-to-face manner and when applied would reproduce the character of Christ in their lives, i.e. the fruit of the Spirit. So he's talking about a spiritual endowment, a power, the Word of God, the Gospel, Bible doctrine, the Word of God is alive and powerful, Hebrews 4.12, that is going to give you the power that you need to experience your so great salvation, to experience your sanctification, or which are both two sides of the same coin, Christian fellowship. Fellowship with God and fellowship with each other. The information that he's going to present to the Roman believers would empower them. We hear in the word about empowerment. I'm going, uh, 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 women's empowerment. I sit there and I laugh about this. Women's Cosmic system has all these crazy things about empowerment. And the only true empowerment is that which the gospel produces in us. The, whole, the word of God. That is power. The Christian way, knowledge is power. Knowledge of God's word is power in our lives. So that's why he's talking about a spiritual benefit. And listen to me. The spiritual benefits that the Bible, that the communicator of the word of God gives you is much more valuable than anything in your life. Because the pastor is communicating the full counsel of God. He's revealing to you the plan of God for your life and the life of the church and the future of what's to come and the things to come. He is giving you, what he has to give you is worth more than a million dollars. It's worth worth more than all the material wealth in the planet or in the universe. Nothing compares to it because he's imparting to you the mind of Christ. And it's a spiritual benefit. So the gospel, when he says the fullness of the blessing of Christ, the word blessing is talking about a spiritual benefit that the Roman believers would experience or or uh, receive from Paul when he communicates the gospel to them. In the sense, it would be a benefit to them in the sense that it would endue them with divine power when Paul communicates it to them in a face-to-face manner and when applied would reproduce the character of Christ in their lives i.e. the fruit of the Spirit. So that's why it's so important to to understand and understand and appreciate spiritual things. That's why when you see, when you you can always tell a a person if they value spiritual things, the Word of God, it's it's demonstrated not by talk, but by example, by uh, the way you conduct your life, what your priorities are, that and how you use your money, where you use your money, how do you use it, how do you use your time, how do you use your talent, how do you use your treasure, do you pray? Everything is your, your conduct, our lifestyles. Tell us a lot about ourselves, what we value. And we have to, the most important thing we should value in our lives is not the marriages. It's not your, it's not your kids. It's not, it's none of that. What's important, most important, everything is, 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 uh, is subordinate to that. What's at the top 
of, uh, should be at the top of the altar of our soul, laying on it, is the word of God. That must be, everything in our lives must pivot off that. And this is what, because why? Because it endues us with power. It's the mind and thinking of Christ. It's the will of the Father being revealed to us. And this is what gives us the opportunity, uh, the, what, the, what the pastor gives us and what Paul would give the Roman believers, would give them what, the information they need to bring glory to God and receive rewards. So it was, extreme, and it was extremely important that Paul, what Paul was giving. It was the fullness of blessing of Christ, he calls it, as the New American Standard render, renders it. Now this word here, uh, evloia, translated blessing, it actually is synonymous with the word we just saw in Romans 1.11, which is translated spiritual gift, charisma, which speaks of Paul communicating the gospel to the Roman believers. Now it says in Romans 1.11 through 12, my translation on the board, we just read the New American Standard, Mine's a little bit clearer. It says in verses 111 and 112, For I have been and continue up to the present moment, Paul says, to earnestly desire to visit all of you, that I might impart a spiritual blessing to all of you, with the result that all of you might be stabilized and strengthened. Namely, that is, in order that it might cause me to be encouraged while among all of you by means of each other's faith, both yours and mine. But notice that the spiritual blessing, the word of God, the gospel, Bible doctrine, whatever you want to call it, that would stabilize them. It would strengthen them. That's how you grow as a church. And listen to me. Anybody who can hear my voice, I know you guys, I'm I'm speaking to the choir here, so to speak. But whoever listens to my voice, you grow a church, not by Madison Avenue techniques. The church grows as God adds to our number. And as we teach the word of God, don't be like these other churches out there that don't value the word of God and don't even believe the inspiration of scripture. And they believe in these Madison Avenue, phony, cosmic ideas that have come from the devil about how you grow a church. What's important is that God will add to our number. And if he doesn't, he doesn't. And we're to grow to spiritual maturity. Yes, we grow up. We go get the gospel out. But we have a responsibility to grow up spiritually. And another thing is the church grows as the people are engaged in the ministry. Not sitting there as spectators watching a few individuals run around, scurry around while they clap and applaud or criticize. That's not how you grow. You grow. I always love people who like to criticize, but they never lift a finger to help anything. It's great to sit there and be a Monday morning quarterback and criticize the people who are up there breaking their butt and doing stuff when they sit back and do nothing. They like to be critics. And you know what? That's How is that going to strengthen the church? It, the, the church is going to be strengthened while you and I are engaged in the ministry, serving each other, having fellowship with each other, which means communicating, interacting, not having clicks. Not having clicks. That's not a church. That's a social group. And that's sad. No, we grow, first of all, by the word of God. The word of God, everything pivots off the word of God. Anybody who tells you any differently, it doesn't know their Bible. Because the church was built on the foundation of the the Lord Jesus Christ and the prophets. Their teaching. Ephesians chapter 2. So notice the spiritual blessing he's going to give them. It would stabilize them and strengthen them. The, that, the, the word of God that he would give them. Hold your place. Look at Ephesians. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. Look at verse 1. Ephesians 4, 1. 
Ephesians 4.1. Paul says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. Some people have no tolerance for another person. It's demonstrated by their bitterness. Being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit, the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. He's talking about unity here. One God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace was given. Singular, spiritual gift he's talking about. According to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives. That talks about the Old Testament saints that were in paradise. And he gave gifts to men. Spiritual gifts. Now, this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also ascend, uh, descended excuse me, into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens so that he might fill all things. And look what he says, the communication gifts right from the beginning. And he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists. Not two different guys, pastors and teachers, but pastor hyphen teachers, or you can translate it, teaching pastors because of the figure of Hendiatus. Speaking of one individual, one gift. So we see that they're all communication. Apostles, they communicated the word of God. Prophets, they communicated the word of God until the canon of scripture was closed. And also evangelists, their gift is for the unbeliever exclusively, like Billy Graham. Pastor hyphen teachers, Teaching pastors, those are the individuals that you're looking at right now in front of you. Those are the individuals that communicate the word of God. Notice that they are right at the beginning. Because that's what's important is the communication of the word of God. Otherwise, you can't receive a spiritual blessing. And part of, and receive a, certain, a blessing and understand the will of God without them. And their gift, the exercise of their gift. Now, what is the purpose of these communication gifts? Uh, the, uh, two of them are gone. Apostles and prophets, but pastors and evangelists are still around. Evangelists, they add their communication, the function of their gift adds to the body of Christ. And pastor teaches is the one that builds up and edifies the body of Christ. Look at it, it says in verse 12, these gifts were given for the equipping of the saints for the work of service. Not sitting around and criticizing and being a Monday morning quarterback and being, oh, well, that person, they don't do that. They do. You know, yeah, great. You're, you're helping. If you want to help uh, solve a problem in a church, don't be, the pro- be a part of the problem. Solve the problem. Try to do something about it. Look at verse 12. For the equipping of the saints of the work of service. The word of God is important so you can work in your spiritual gift that you could serve to building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we're no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. So notice that we're to grow up and to attain the unity of the faith of the Son of God, the knowledge of the Son of God. And as we do, we'll be stabilized. We won't be carried about by every wind of doctrine. You can lose your salvation, false doctrine. Uh, different thing, Jesus wasn't the Son of God, false doctrine. All this, these false doctrines we are protected from through the function of the communication gifts. And in particular, in our, in our context, the pastor-teacher. So that stabilizes us. This is echoing what Paul says in Romans 1, 11 and 12. Then he goes on to say in verse 15, But speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. Grow up to spiritual maturity, not be a baby. 
from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, that's the pastor, it's a, it's a metaphor for him, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. So notice the pastor, when he provides the word of God, the function of his gift is essential, just like your joints are for your body. Take joints out of your body and what do you got? You look like my grandmother when she was... Uh, when she had rheumatoid arthritis, you can't move very well. Your joints don't work. So that the, the ch- you don't have a church without a pastor. You know, some people, I know some churches, they don't have a pastor. How can you call yourself a church? You're not even hearing the word of God. You're not getting the word of God taught, uh, proclaimed to you. That's not a church. That's a social group or something other baloney that you're playing or doing um, bingo or something. You know, you, that's, they're, they're kidding themselves, churches like that. Now, all the, uh, uh, if you look at Romans 1, 11, and 12 on the board, and my translation from those verses, Paul says, For I have been, and continue up to the present moment, to earnestly desire to visit all of you, that I might impart a spiritual blessing to all of you, with the result that all of you might be stabilized and strengthened. Namely, that is, in order that it might cause me to be encouraged, while among all of you, by means of each other's faith, both yours and mine. Now, although the Roman believers would be blessed or receive a spiritual benefit when Paul communicates the gospel to them, it would also produce blessing for Paul, as we noted earlier, and that it would produce fruit for him in the sense of rewards, which is implied by the indirect middle voice of that verb, erkama, which we mentioned, and by Paul in Romans 1.13. Paul says in Romans 1.13, Now I absolutely, my translation, Now I absolutely do not want all of you to be ignorant spiritual brothers, that I have often planned in order to come to all of you, and was prevented so far, in order that I might also produce some fruit among all of you. Now, this uh, go back to Romans chapter 15, verse 29. Go back to Romans 15, 29, please. Romans 15, 29, Paul says, I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. Now, the word fullness is pleroma. And it refers to that which is beyond measure. When he says fullness there, in the original, the word talks about something that's beyond measure. In our passage, it should be translated with the English adjective abundant. Because that's, and it's indicated, this is indicated by the fact that the noun evloia, blessing, functions as an attributive genitive. Therefore, the head noun, uh, uh, fullness, play, uh, Pleroma is functioning as an attributive adjective and it can be converted to an adjective describing the noun evloyia, blessing in your Bibles. What does that mean to us? Well, it indicates that Paul will enter into the company of the Roman believers possessing that which produces abundant blessing or spiritual benefit, i.e. the gospel. This word pleroma functions as a dative of thing possessed, which means that Paul possesses this abundant blessing of Christ. The, so what's the what's the what's the um, the application for our church? I possess the abundant blessing of Christ. Let that ring in your ears, everybody who has my voice. I possess the abundant blessing of Christ. What I give to you, it's not about Bill. It's what I possess. I possess the bu- abundant blessing of Christ. I possess a gift that is designed to build up and stabilize your faith and to give you blessing. Remember that. Now, Paul's saying here in Romans 15, 29, that when he enters into the company of the Roman believers, he will enter as one who possesses 
the abundant blessing of Christ. Now the word is the object of the preposition N, which functions as a marker of state or condition, and that would indicate to us that when Paul enters into the fellowship of the Roman believers, he will enter into in the state of possessing the abundant blessing of Christ. That's why we read it, remember we studied in Romans? Uh, it talks about uh, blessed are the feet who proclaim the gospel. That's very important. That's why, be careful if you have a problem with a pastor or whoever communicates the word of God, be careful what you say and do to that individual because God sent that person. Christ himself sent that person. And that's very dangerous when people want to go after a particular communicator of the word of God. Your best bet is just to stay, don't say anything and stay away and don't, don't bring discipline on yourself. Because I've seen it happen with pastors, people attacking pastors, and who possess abundant blessing of giving the word of God out to people, and they get attacked. And you know what? Discipline comes on believers when they do that. That's a dangerous thing to do. Stay away from the communicators. Do not, do not attack them. Give them up to God if you have a problem with them. So, we see that the word Christ here, Christos, is a technical word designating the humanity of our Lord as the promised Savior for all mankind, who is unique as the incarnate Son of God, and totally and completely guided and empowered by the Spirit as the servant of the Father. So he's saying that Christ, Christ here, is working through him. How do I know that? Well, it, this word, Christos, functions as a genitive of production. And that means that this abundant blessing or spiritual benefit that the Roman believers will receive when Paul communicates the gospel to them will in, actually, in actuality be produced by Christ himself. Isn't this what Paul said about his ministry to the Gentiles in Romans 15, 18? Look at my translation on the board. For you see, I would absolutely never presume at any time to speak of anything except with respect to those things which Christ accomplished for himself through me, resulting in the Gentiles obeying by word and deed. When Paul, word and deed. Christ working through him. Application. The pastor teacher, as he sticks to the word of God, not goes off on his political viewpoints or his own opinions, sticks to the word of God, sticks to the text, and proclaims the word of God. He has Christ and the Spirit working through him. Therefore, in Romans fifteen twenty nine, Paul's conveying this idea of Christ working through him when he communicates the gospel by the power of the Spirit. And this is indicated with the noun Christos, functioning as a genitive of production, as I noted before. So let me give you my translation on the board and, and have one sentence that summarizes our lesson this evening. Romans fifteen twenty nine. Paul says, Indeed, I know for certain that when I am permitted to enter into the company of each and every one of you by the Spirit, I will, for my own benefit, enter in the state of possessing abundant blessing, which is produced by Christ. So we can summarize this verse by saying that this particular passage reveals that Paul knew for certain that when the Holy Spirit permitted him to enter into the company of the Roman believers, he would enter into the state of possessing abundant blessing which is produced by Christ through him by the power of the Spirit. It speaks of the man's confidence. See, Christ in you, through the power of the Spirit, gives you confidence. He was confident of that. Many, many believers, because, many times because they're out of fellowship with God or they just might be spiritually mature, they mistake confidence in somebody and conviction in a pastor as being arrogance. And they, 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 that's what they've always been a criticism 
of men who have the conviction of the Holy Spirit and speak with confidence and boldness and power. And you, that's why a lot of people, when you're not, when you're not in fe- uh, fellowship with the Spirit, that's when you have problems with the pastor because you're not listening to the Spirit. You don't recognize the Spirit's voice because you are out of fellowship with God and therefore you can't recognize the voice of the Spirit speaking through the pastor. It's not me. It's not the, it's, you know, when I say it's not the uh, man but the message... Yes, that's true. Christ is speaking in the Spirit through the pastor. But it, it, it is important to understand that the man is important because he is to set an example of Christ-like character. His, his lifestyle, his conduct, what's his priorities in life, his dedication and devotion. Is this person dedicated and devoted to the cause of Christ? Is he self-sacrificial? Has he demonstrated love? Has he exemplified what he has taught? That's very important. So it is, in a, in a sense, it's not just, you know, I believe it to a certain extent, it's the me- uh, message, not the man, but I also believe that you can, you can use that statement and, uh, not, uh, and, and use it as an excuse not to live an exemplary life as a pastor. So you've got to be careful. So I, I, say, I, I agree with that statement to a certain extent. But the point we need to see what Paul's making here is that he was, he was aware of the fact that what he had was abundant blessing. It was Christ working in him by the power of the Spirit. He knew he was teaching the Word of God. He knew what God's will was. And he was communicating right back to the people he came in contact with. He found out what God wanted of him and the body of Christ. And he communicated it to the people. He was confident that when he comes to them, he would give them blessing. That's what he was designed to do, is to give people in the body of Christ blessing. And that's the responsibility of a pastor, is to give blessing to his people. How does he do that? He does it by teaching the word of God, by being dedicated and devoted, studying, teaching, and praying, and give, setting an example, modeling his doctrine to his people, operating in love, forgiving, and being gracious to those who are unlovely, unloving and bitter toward him. Uh, that exemplifies the, the way Christ lived, and that's exactly what he's supposed to do. He brings blessing. That's what he's supposed to do. But the minute he doesn't communicate the word of God, the minute he deviates from what the, path, the word of God says, then and gets onto his own political viewpoints or his own, uh, his own philosophies or whatever, his little stories that have nothing to do with the word of God, illustrations, then he's lost his authority. Because his, meaning, not that he lost his gift, but he's not speaking from the authority of the word of God. That's, that's why you never see me. I will never, some guys don't have that conviction, I do. I don't give you my political viewpoint. I'll talk about politics as it relates to the passage and the word of God, if it does. But my job is to communicate the full counsel of God. And it's abundant blessing to the congregation. And, we, uh, and, and this is what Paul is telling the Roman believers. When I come to you, I'm certain when I come to you, that I possess abundant blessing. I got the gospel, which I gave to you in writing, just a snippet of what I know. I'm going to communicate it to you. And what I give you is going to help you grow in your spiritual gift, to be more powerful in your spiritual gift, to make a greater impact in the life of your, of your church and the unsaved. It will allow you to grow up to become like, grow up to become like Jesus Christ. All, is, all this that I am going to give you, the word of God, Bible doctrine, the gospel, is very important. It's a spiritual blessing. It'll empower you to do God's will. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time.
would challenge us with the things that we've heard and help us and guide us in the application of these things, Father. We thank you for those here in the chapel and those who might be listening on Pal Talk, and we pray that they would receive their necessary spiritual nourishment and be encouraged, guided, instructed, convicted, and if necessary, and corrected and rebuked, if necessary, and loved by the Holy Spirit. And we pray again that you would also bless the fellowship after, that it would be empowered by the Spirit, and give us traveling mercies on the way home for those in the chapel. In our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ's name, Amen.